Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, spine number 26, 1989's Leviathan, featuring Stan Winston's Genius, Peter Weller's Baby Blues, Amanda fucking Pays, and Daniel Stern's Porn Collection. Jacob. Yes. You know how long this puzzle took me? Hundreds, thousands, millions of hours. It was an experiment that tampered with nature's most basic laws. It went terribly wrong. It was buried five miles down. Now, a crew of undersea miners is about to stumble upon this terrifying secret. Shack to seven, what's going on out there, Williams? My God, are you picking this up? Look at that. Leviathan. Currently with the Russian fleet in the Baltic Sea. Currently it's rusted junk and we're looking at it. What's your air reading? 20 minutes. Do something quick. We've lost him. My crew's in jeopardy. But you have no proof. I'm ordering you to start an emergency medical evacuation. What if it turns out to be nothing? Help me. It's already killed one man. Finally, please stop. I'm losing compression. I can't breathe. Whatever got six-pack and Bowman, it's still here. I feel something. Somebody's alive in here. What's going on? Six-pack. Six-pack, answer. trying to tell us, Doc. It absorbs the intelligence of its victims. Thank goodness you're still alive. When are you coming? I say we protect ourselves. Leviathan. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin, how you doing? I'm very good. You ready to head underwater? Always. So, we kind of ran into a, a bit of course correction this week, where we had an idea for an episode that we were going to do that kind of fell through with a couple things we were putting together. So, we did this on the fly, and this is a total audible. We're doing spine number 26, 1989's Leviathan from George Pan Cosmatos, the great muscular uh, dude filmmaker, maybe of all time? Yes, uh, that and then just the the rumors that surround of that he makes some of these films. Yeah, that's one of the things that I want to get into, too, is that uh, George P. Cosmatos might be one of the great directors who is actually more of like a great project manager yes. in a weird way. Um, because, yeah, he, he has had many productions that have some of the wildest behind-the-scenes like catastrophes that you've ever heard of from... I mean, even Rambo First Blood Part 2 was not like the easiest shoot in the world and will actually introduce one of the big connective tissues in this uh, episode as well. But there's Cobra, 
which was legendarily troubled because Stallone was just out of his mind, like high on his own supply the entire time. And then you also have Tombstone, which by all accounts, you know, after Cosmatos, you know, passed sadly too soon. He he died at like 64. He was quite young. Yeah. But it was after uh, he passed, it kind of came out that Kurt Russell was secretly directing Tombstone the whole time. Yeah. The, I'd heard it before he passed away. Someone, I forget who told me about it. And I don't know, this might be completely apocryphal, but I had made the connection that because Stallone and Kurt Russell knew each other from Tango and Cash, um, that possibly that was about the time that actually that, that Kurt might have actually been putting together Tombstone. And Cosmatos was, I believe, known. It was the kind of thing where it's like, okay, you're a famous actor. You want to make a film, you want to be the director, but like the studio won't let you, the producers won't let you, or the director's guild won't let you. And this was a way to like basically direct and ghost, basically ghost direct with, with Cosmatos at at the helm. It's almost like when you see like a famous person writing their own autobiography and there's always a second author, like Cosmatos was that second author the entire time. And this isn't to try and like, let's say snatch credit away from him, especially uh, posthumously, like that's kind of shitty, but it, because there are movies that he made, uh, to me, the one we're going to talk about in uh, specific Leviathan that, you know, feel like his, like there's no yeah. big star. I do think there is connective tissue in, in Leviathan and another movie of his that, uh, I think kind of stands on its own feet and that's, um, of unknown origin, the Peter Weller versus the rat movie, which is almost kind of like a one man play that he filmed. It's because a little Hitchcock just, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's like rope, but with Peter Weller and a rat. <laughs> it's that movie is so delightful. I saw it years after I saw Leviathan and yeah, I came to that later too. I got it. I remember I renting it from Netflix on disc and getting it. I watched with some friends in grad school. Oh, I think that might've been the same as, I think I got that from Netflix's uh, disc program too. Cause I think there wasn't for a while like, a way to easily get it. Yeah. And they had, I'm like, Oh shit. And the cover is so great. It's Peter Waller's, his photograph of his glasses has been shredded by like a, a rat talon. Yeah. It's him and his family, right? Yes. I believe if memory serves. But I mean, like if you go, through Cosmatis's career, like even before he started working with uh, Stallone, which really was the guy who empowered him. Like yeah. when he did first blood part two, you know, that's one of the like kind of key eighties texts of like action filmmaking, like from the jingoism from Jim Cameron's uh, reportedly hevered, heavily tampered with script, but still like his name on it alone to just the way that Rambo is presented. Like we go from derelict wandering hobo Rambo to full fledged sweaty chest machine gunning various, you know, Brown people in a jungle. Like that's what Rambo became red bandana, like around his head and everything. And like, yeah, again, we can say like Cosmatos isn't, the quote-unquote author of these movies. But, I mean, he captures some pretty amazing mayhem the entire time. It was a couple months ago, you and I were hanging out, and we, you know, often go down these rabbit holes of, all right, this ridiculously huge disc collection, and we're like, all right, let's watch this movie. And sometimes, like, we're, we're gambling on yeah. <clears throat> movies might not. 
And you turned to me and said, dude, let's just watch a banger. Like, let's watch a fucking banger. <laughs> and you're like, what about First Blood Part 2? I said, absolutely. I remember seeing that movie for the first time with my brother in a hotel in Minnesota. Like, we were traveling. My parents went for a long walk, and they left us in the hotel. And he and I were just, like, blown against the back of the wall by, like, you know, this, even How a cable edit, it, I mean, it's so the, fucking good. Yeah, because that was a movie that also played, I think I saw it on tape first. It was either tape or TNT. It's one of the two, because even when it played on TNT back in the day, like, aside from some swears and some Charles uh, Napier kind of tomfoolery in that, like, I don't know, man, like, it, there was a lot of, uh, uh, violence that they still showed on regular cable. Well, specifically like this is burned into my fucking subconscious is when he uses the um, explosive head arrow to blow up the commander. Like, and he blow, he's on that rock and it's yeah. just like shooting wildly. They like, like great. Well, lampoon in um, UHF. You just can't fucking hit him. Blows him smith the reins. And you know, to, to speak about Cameron though, and to not, you know, lose the the thread here as well is, you know, Cameron worked on this script and the, what, what I'd always heard he said is he goes, the action is mine. The politics is, are still, is still owns. Yeah. And, and you could tell because it's a, it's a well struck, it is a well structured script. Um, it's well put together, but the, the reason for Leviathan being the reason for what we'll get into in this episode, um, of these other 1989 we call them ripoffs of Abyss, even though they came out before the Abyss, most of them were all because everyone wanted to do what Cameron was doing next. Right. Uh, the Aliens was a, was a just enormous hit. He and after Terminator as well was seen as like whatever he's doing, he's got his finger on the pulse of what needs to be happening in Hollywood, and so specifically I, in like genre filmmaking too. Exactly. He, I, I feel like he was he was the kind of inherited the mantle. I'd say like George Lucas of turning B picks into a picks, you know, he took B like pulpy plots and made them these tent pole movies or, or sort of like, honestly what Nolan is now. Ex- exactly. Like, very where much. after dark Knight, like everything from like bond on was yep. chasing the dark Knight. Everybody in the eighties was chasing Cameron. Yes, absolutely. After uh, Terminator and Aliens, to your point, because I mean, one of these movies we're going to talk about is almost like I think I texted you something along the lines earlier today that like the Rift, which is one of the the, the last movies, because I don't think that came out until nineteen ninety technically, yeah. but that is almost like the if you know how uh, Dairy Queen does the blizzards of the month, like this is the James Cameron flavored blizzard of the month because. Only here, the abyss is the soft serve ice cream, and then peppered in like fucking like candy shrapnel is like Galaxy of Terror and Aliens. Because the rift in the back half becomes under, it starts as an abyss riff and then slowly morphs, or quickly, because it's only 84 minutes long, morphs into underwater aliens, and it's fucking awesome the whole time. It's it's a delightful movie as well. Um, it's interesting though what kind of happened with the abyss and these again ripoffs plus one I call mockbuster um, that were trying to capitalize on a film that hadn't even been made yet and or was yeah. being made. And from my understanding, he started writing the script in eighty seven after right after right after he finished Aliens, and which is when one of the other movies. 
that we're going to talk about here also began began life uh, in script form in 1987, and that's Deep Star Six. Yes, and 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 Sean Cunningham, who produced and also directed very poorly, I might add, um, he had he'd said famously, or he doing my research for this that as long as we're out first, I don't care. Like right. that's what he it's said. Whoever's first to market, like it's the pure, you know, Friday the Thirteenth ethos of yep. we saw Halloween and said, "How do we rip this off?" It's making making a bunch of money, and they got out quick. Exactly. You know, because by the time Halloween had made it around the country in '79, they were out the summer of '80. What is funny to me about Deep Star Six, though, is that it's Coralco. Yep. It's, it's uh. Vassar or Vajna and uh, Kasser. Yeah. yeah. So who produced the Rambo movies that Cosmatos was already <clears throat> making with Stallone for them. And then ended here, up producing. Yeah. He, he ends up making <laughs> T2. a competing movie uh, with Leviathan for MGM and De Laurentiis, you know, with Stan Winston. So it's just funny to me how the roles reversed there where like Cunningham saw this new company kind of emerging and they had a bunch of money. And, like, let's face it, Coralco was just as much exploitation as it was anything else. Although it is coming out the year before Coralco would give us Total Recall, too, which is fucking awesome. But and, like, and then the next year was Terminator. Exactly. Too. Yeah, and Basic so, Instinct. Yes, they were, they were just, like, putting out big fucking movies. You want to talk about, a, a, like, a straight-up banger factory. Like, they were just churning things out that would become our favorite movies for years to come. To this fucking day, yeah. But what's weird and kind of cool about uh, Deep Star Six and kind of bouncing off your idea of like the 87 development process is that, so there's two guys. There's James Cameron, who's already king of the fucking world, at least the genre world, but he has a good buddy named Louis Abernathy who they're uh, diving buddies together. They actually go and scuba dive together and Abernathy would go on to actually be in what's the one IMAX movie that he made Ghost of the Abyss? Yes. Abernathy's in that. And he's also in Titanic. He as like a speaking role as one of uh, Bill Paxton's crew oh, sure. on that salvage team. But Abernathy and he shared this very niche, dangerous, uh, let's say hobby together. And Abernathy starts writing a movie at the same time that Jim Cameron does. And Cameron actually goes to him and is like, Hey man, could you lay off of this? Because I'm trying to do the abyss. Like this is my next big thing. Like I don't care if you do it later, but Abernathy actually persisted because by all accounts, this guy was just like a wild man, like a real John Milius type because he's even rumored to be, Part of the inspiration for Walter Sobchak. <laughs> no, I'm being like, yeah, honest. No, like, it's it's John Milius <clears throat> and this guy Louis Abernathy because Louis Abernathy used to pal around with the guy that the dude was based after too. And Abernathy would he didn't write many things in Hollywood. Like he wrote Deep Star Six, and that was kind of his big first splash. No pun intended. But like he would go on to direct. House 4 with Sean Cunningham producing. Oh, okay, shit. And then he wrote one of the earliest drafts of Freddy vs. Jason, which is a kind of infamous draft because it contained a Freddy cult of teenagers that worshipped Freddy and wanted to figure out a way to bring him back to like the real world. 
and then apparently ended. You can find the script online. I, I Googled it and found it in like 30 <laughs> seconds, like earlier this morning. But it ends with a boxing match in hell between Freddy and Jason where like Hitler is the referee and like someone like what's what's what was the the woman oh Elizabeth Bathory that's yes like vampirism is based off of she's like bathed in blood she's like a card girl in the ring and like real fucked up like weird shit like this like by all accounts uh, Abernathy was a huge personality and they actually you know Cameron being Cameron had a falling out because of this where he actually named Abernathy persona non grata once he sold it to Coralco and they started the development process with Sean Cunningham. It was like, okay, fuck you. Then we're not boys anymore. They have since obviously made up since he was in Titanic and uh, ghosts of the abyss. But like, I thought that was pretty fucking cool that again, Cameron is like literally the connective tissue here because like, it's this guy who powed around with him that was like, Oh shit. I'm Jim is obviously super successful. I'm just going to copy my boy. Yeah. It's, um, and for, for the audience too, there's a couple more films in this, uh, in this, this mini cycle of movies where you have the abyss. Um, then you have deep star six, you have Lords of the deep, which is a Corman, basically a mockbuster. Um, and then you have Leviathan and the next year you have the riff. There's also one called the evil below, which is a Spanish one as well, which is it's not, not a, South a, African, <clears throat> South African. It's not an underwater base. It's just a water movie. With yeah. Like scuba I, divers. I found a copy of it and I almost watched it, but I've read that it's just terrible. Yeah. It's like, there's really not much to take from it, but one of the things that was interesting watching all these again, and and I will just say that I'm obsessed with this this cycle. Like people always ask, like, what's the movie you would want to make? And I said I would want to make an underwater base futuristic movie like The Abyss, and that's it. Yeah, I was gonna say let's just get the big elephant out of the room because I rewatched the uh, three hour director's cut of The Abyss this morning, and it's just one of the most stunning. Like, not just technical accomplishments, but emotional accomplishments on, like, big, like, full-scale blockbuster filmmaking I've ever seen. Yep, I was, I finished it for the, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but I finished it right again before we recorded, and it's super fresh. I think I told you earlier, when I'm watching this movie, it's my favorite movie. Like, it has, again, I, I has everything I want in a movie, it's like the characters are really great. The dialogue's amazing. It's some of the best character stuff I think that Cameron's ever done in any of his movies. I think that the two leads and their 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 this is love. This the best crew for a dude who's like yes. obsessed with crews from like the Marines and aliens yep. to like the crew in Titanic that's with Bill Paxton. Like he loves that uh, dynamic between characters. This is the best one because they all get at least one moment to shine. And they're perfectly cast. And I'm convinced that the big dude is actually based on Abernathy. Because if you look at pictures of him and uh, Abernathy, uh, Cameron's buddy, like they look almost identical. Yeah, it's uh, the the characters across the board. And like you said, like the technical achievement of making this. And I, I did, I've watched a lot of stuff about the making of this over the years. And I've read, it's a fascinating just story of, of how it was done and, the fact that, you know, Cameron, the fact that no one died making this movie is is a miracle. Well, um, to set it up, they shot it in basically a hollowed out nuclear power plant. Nuclear reactor. Yeah. yeah. It was supposed to be in Mexico. 
and it wasn't big enough, I believe. They went to South Carolina near Earl o- Orensby. Well, he owned it. Yeah, it's his. Yeah, and Earl s- Owensby, the guy who became like a low-budget exploitation exploitation magnet in South Carolina where he would write, direct, star in his own movies and started his own studio. He bought this reactor with the idea of turning it into basically like a giant movie set and the abyss came and was like the first huge production and it didn't go well. It, they had to fill it with, they had two, they had two reactors they used. Right. And one was like 5 million gallons of water. It was the biggest underwater set of all time. Big, no, biggest, biggest tank in the world, I believe, right. for like a freestanding tank. In, I wish I would have played it because uh, for my birthday, we've mentioned this kind of in the past, but we did a six movie marathon at my house and I set up a whole playlist with like trailers and intros and everything. One of the trailers I actually cut out because uh, one of the first choices for the leadoff movie before we ended up going with what we went with was that 35 uh, theatrical print scan of true lies yes but i also found a 35 theatrical print scan of the original abyss teaser trailer and the abyss teaser trailer sets it up by going into the production and showing you the giant power plant and being like, and talking to camera and them being like, this was the most like grueling intense shoot that's ever happened. And now this is what resulted from it. That's the fucking trailer. And I was like, Oh my God, they, they weren't shy about actually talking about this. Oh my God. Well, Except for Ed Harris who wouldn't talk about it. It's, it's a, it's one of those movies. It very similar. I would say to, um, Mac Mad Max for your road, which was supposedly kind of a nightmare as well. Which is a perfect film. Like, I love it. Sure. And so it's like, what came out of it is great. The Abyss is the same thing. Like, I watched it today, and I was blown away by, I know all the shit that happened. We can get more into what happened behind the scenes. The fact that it's not only competent, but moving and stunning. Wa- and stunning and wonderful and exciting and just like a perfectly crafted thriller with what doesn't miss character beats. The fact that, again, no one died, but also it became out so wonderful is a miracle. Sure. I do think the key difference in that comparison, though, is that George Miller is not known to be a despotic dick. Right. And, like, Cameron literally almost killed Ed Harris at one point, like, kept filming him while he was drowning, and Harris pulled himself out and then punched Cameron in the fucking face because of it. He also... Like, he hates this movie. Like, he, he literally will not talk about it. Which is really funny because we were texting earlier. I think this is one of my favorite, favorite Ed Harris roles ever. He's amazing. He, in he, it. he he anchors the movie. He's the great like working like intelligent working class leading man who, the way he sells how he cares for everyone and his crew like these and again it's Cameron too as a director but just like these little moments of how he checks on people is like hey you're okay like he just it's so well done he's such a lovable character um, and he plays so well off. Uh, Mary Master Antonio, um, who comes in so hot and so bitchy. And, and their relationship is the heart of the entire movie. Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, in the, the director's cut, with they go harder into, like, their love saves the world. Right. Like, it because in the, the theatrical cut, they cut a lot of this out, but for those who haven't seen the director's cut, basically... 
the the hurricane that's happening above that makes everything happen is being caused by the aliens down in the abyss. And they're angry at the way we're treating the planet, treating the oceans, and they're going to basically destroy all of us with a giant tidal wave. And so when he is saved, when he's down at the bottom of the abyss and he is saved and brought into their, their city, they see the messages back and forth on the wall between he and his wife where it's like, love you wife. And you realize that they stop the end of the world, which is, it's wonderful. And I can see why they cut it. Um, but I do like the director's cut quite a bit. Yeah. It's like near perfect where like the theatrical cut is just great. Yes. You know, like it really is because Cameron is a notorious tinkerer, like after the fact, especially in home video and everything yeah. with like the extended aliens cut T2 T2. There are multiple cuts of, I believe. And, and all then, the all the extended ones suck. I don't like any extended T2 stuff at all. I honestly don't know the difference. I just love T2 so much that you can show me any <coughs> fucking cut of it. And I'll be like, yeah, perfect movie. Don't give a shit. Like, he cuts Michael Bean into it in a really cheesy scene where he's like, Sarah, you get to fight. You'd be stronger than you ever had to be. Wait, does he he force ghosts? Yeah. Oh, really? He's, he, he, when she's in the hospital... He comes to her. It's like this five minute scene where he's like, I don't think I've seen that version. It's I've never really heard that cheesy. Until you just said that. It's cheesy and stupid, and you can see why it's on the floor. Like, yeah. you can see where they cut. I'm like, dude, this is bad. It's Billy Loomis and Scream 5 <laughs> shit. God. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like that yeah. stuff, but it is. He's doing the Force Ghost thing of like, he, they bring him back, and all of a sudden, now this guy she fucked to save humanity is Obi Wan fucking Kenobi. Well, it's, it's a Cameron. He actually, he, right, he's a tinkerer. But he's often on the line. He can get cheesy really quickly. And his films are so well edited to kind of keep it, to calm it down. Well, and I think the main difference between, like, say, this and the Aliens director's cut, which I know a lot of people go back and forth on which is superior. I think theatrical is superior yeah. just because it moves way better. And I don't like, to your point about the cheesiness, I don't like all the Newt introduction stuff. I actually think that takes a great character intro yes. out. Um, and then also, I've never... I go back and forth on the stuff where it's revealed how long she's been in cryosleep and that her daughter's Amanda's dead and all dead, that yeah. stuff too. Like, part of me really likes it just as character development because... You know, it's mostly implied in the theatrical cut. Like, oh, this becomes her surrogate daughter, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I kind of just like the surrogate daughter thing without all the backstory, too. So, again, I could go back and forth on that stuff. But the, I think the main difference between the Abyss director's cut and the, the Aliens one is where the Alien stuff just feels like texture. Like, all the stuff with the sentence... Uh, the Sentinel guns. That's that cool as fuck. They, they set up. It's cool, but it feels like a thing that it, totally, if you cut out, you don't lose anything. Right. At all. Where the Abyss just feels like a full, like, robust, like, this was my cut. Like, it's not superfluous. It's not just texture. Like, the fucking uh, Candle in the Dark stuff, like, that whole speech where he's falling, all of the the alien uh, stuff at the end. Like I know people say like, it's so corny with like the tidal waves that are rising up and like threatening hum humanity, but I love the scope that it adds to the movie too. Yes. And like, again, this is one of the things that I love about the abyss is that like, it's so much of Cameron's work. It's all about the threat 
of aliens or the threat of the unknown or the threat of the future. And this is like him doing both close encounters and 2001 underwater where the aliens are things of wonder and the humans are the threat here. And it's all about like being in all of these things that you, you can't believe existed in the first place. And it's, it's like so moving. Like the moment Carrie walked in on me today, cause she was home doing a bunch of like uh, invoice type stuff for her restaurant and she's coming in and out and she leaves for an extended period to basically get ready to go to work. And she comes back and I'm just like crying, but it's after all the candle in the dark scene where he tells her this is one way trip. You knew I was, I had to go. And the, the alien just takes him by the hand and is like floating down over the city. I'm like losing it. And she walks in she's like, are you crying at this movie? I'm like, of course I'm fucking crying. It's amazing because you're just so overwhelmed by the, the spectacle and like the emotional wallop that, that Cameron again uh, can mine from spectacle. Like he's the greatest at it of all time. Like I think he's even better than Spielberg. You know, dude, I was watching The Abyss today and had the same thought. I said, I don't, there are things that Spielberg's better at than Cameron. Yeah. I think specific suspense, like he's Hitchcocky and when he, when he does it, he's perfect. Like he's better than Cameron. But I agree. I think Cameron beats Spielberg on spectacle. Also, is he's also more tuned in on how to use special effects. He knows what the special effects guys are doing, I think, better than Spielberg does. Like, he's more of a gear tech nerd than, than Spielberg is because of his because of his history. Yeah, and you could obviously argue this all day long because of stuff like Jurassic Park or AI or any of that. Like, Spielberg obviously is pretty right. adept at using special effects, too. But my thing with Cameron is that it's all about awe with him mm. and, like... And it's different forms of awe. Like he can invoke terror with a, a you know fleet of endoskeletons wielding machine guns at you, or he can make your jaw drop and like your eyes well with tears with a underwater you know glowing alien stingray leading a man like towards possibly like heaven. You're not even sure in that moment where they're going or or if he's dead or not. Um, but it's just it's such a tremendous act. Of, of filmmaking and the transmutation of like the technical into something emotional that I don't think anybody ever has been better at. It's, it's funny cause I will get to these other films as well, but it seems like with Lords of the Deep, which is actually the closest um, plot wise to the abyss. Yeah. Where it's the, aliens the LA are... takedown to the abyss's heat. Yeah, very much. But you have Lords, but especially Leviathan and deep star six, right? almost make what people thought Cameron was going to make, which was following aliens. You're like, Oh, this is going to be this like sci-fi horror film in an underwater base. Like if you're going to make a jump after watching aliens, what would he make next? It wouldn't be a close encounters. Like you said, like hopeful, like the, the awe of, of an alien race. But you see, you see um, a lot of stuff in the abyss that, that he is all over avatar too. Like the, the military is just bad. Most of the military is just right. is just evil. Um, return to nature. It's super. It's super ecologically minded. He goes back and forth on that. Honestly, I don't. I think he has a, a reverence for military guys, like particularly with aliens, and even right, with. Uh, it depends what side they're fighting for. There's always a fear 
it's not necessarily just a fear or a villainization of the military. It's who the military is working for. And in this case, you know, the military in the abyss is serving fear. It's serving yeah. like this Cold War agenda where the the Russians and the Cubans and everything, you're basically smack dab in the middle of like the Bay of Pigs part two. They That's pretty much almost a verbatim line of dialogue that one you know character kind of blurts out at a certain point. I think in the director's cut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, um, you know, in uh, Aliens, like the military guys are good because they're actually going against the corporate interests. And in op- Avatar, the military is actually serving corporate, the corporate interests. Like the one thing that unites all of these movies we're about to talk about is that there's almost <laughs> like an overriding theme about how corporations are bad. They're going to enlist the most powerful might you know, on the planet to try and crush like the average working man. And you should not trust anybody who's talking to you on a computer screen who looks like Meg Foster. It's funny because all of this also is birth out of alien, you know, and, yes. and because Leviathan know, is almost beat for beat alien underwater. Yes. And, and Dan O'Bannon, I'm not going to say he created, um, the working class, like, union crew but like from dark star I mean, on but he did but he did but he's he is considered by most having you know and then also wrote the original script star beast um which became alien well um, it's like him and like carpenter's the other one doing the thing like that's the the next closest uh comparison i have in my head that leviathan's doing underwater is that it's the thing underwater there it's a mix yeah and and um obviously oban and carpenter were friends earlier as well before they're falling out. But, you know, it, it, it spreads into all these films where you have this kind of union mentality, um, especially in Leviathan, The Abyss, and Deep Star Six, really heavily in Leviathan, um, of, like, there's a shop steward. They get into, like, kind of the politics of... Well, Leviathan straight up replicates <clears throat> the scenes, specifically the scene where Yaffa Koto yes. <laughs> and Harry Dean Stanton are yelling at each other and... Ripley comes in and interrupts them. Like that scene is almost not line for line, but beat for beat in Leviathan to where you're watching it. Like, you know, you're ripping this off, but they're doing it in such a fun, creative way that you don't give a shit the whole time. Plus, I mean, you have Stan Winston doing like super goopy uh, creature effects in this that are awesome, except for the end monster reveal, which is kind of goofy. All the, the, the big monster reveals in these movies are not the best. Well, I do like the big monster in Deep Star Six. I like it, but it's goofy. It, look, it, it looks, looks like a big like Muppet who's really hungry and maybe horny. It looks like 1950s, like something. It looks like the giant crab monster. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, like that kind of thing. So because he even has the googly eyes that are looking at you, and it, the, the way its mouth opens is kind of cool. Where it has like the four flaps and the mandibles. Yes, it's um. It's interesting, though, with, like, you have this, like, union thing that kind of runs throughout these these films. And, you know, like you said, it's the corporation is, is the villain. And it, every single one, ha- I mean, like, Deep Star Six has it, Leviathan, really heavily. Now, well, let's go through them one by one. Deep Star Six were with a group of underwater nuclear power plant operators. They are... They're an explorers, basically. So there's some explorers and some scientists, but their job is to put down 
missile launching platforms right. on the bottom of the ocean, yeah. like on the ocean floor. That's their job. And yeah, then they're going to leave. nuclear missiles that they're more or less installing as like defense yes. mechanisms. So you got these guys. So there's your working class heroes and dorks in Deep Star 6. And then you have... Miners uh, and Leviathan. Miners and Leviathan. And then the Abyss is Roughnecks. Oil workers, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in... Uh, Lords of the Deep, they are colonizers yes. who are in the year 2020, after the whole world is ruined, they're going underwater to create colonies where people can live and run into, into some pretty goopy creatures. Actually, that one's super weird because the creature in it looks like like if, if Cameron was still working on a galaxy of terror budget... Like, that's what, or maybe even, like, an inseminoid budget. Like, that's what the the big stingray aliens from the Abyss would have actually looked like. They look real fucking goofy. It looks like ass. It's, it's so <laughs> bad. Yeah. Well, should we, let's get it a little bit deeper into Deep Star 6. Sure. Yeah. So, you, you were texting. not great. You were texting me, and so I watched this probably every three years because again, I love this cycle. I watch abyss every year. I watch Leviathan twice a year. I love those movies so much. I watch Lords of the deep. I don't like it. Um, but deep star six is a fucking slog until the last 20 minutes. And it's underwater Friday the 13th. It's, it's funny. You texted me that. And I was thinking of like how you were saying, he's just marking time because there's that scene in, Two scenes in Friday the Thirteenth I was thinking of specifically was one they're talking about what to make for dinner, yep, and they're like, "How do you like your your fucking burgers?" And the camera's up in the corner, and it's just like one take. It's like fuck, just going. And then, the but you s- just replace cabins with the, these underwater stations, and it's just blue collar dudes talking about blue collar stuff that you don't care about, except for Miguel Ferrer, who I don't He's think wears great. sleeves the entire movie. And is just going off the entire time. Like he gets what he's in, and also Matt McCoy, uh, who is in, so much. who would be in Twin Peaks immediately after. They kind of know what movie they're in. They're doing a fun thing together, and they're really digging in and having you know a ball with some of the very abysmal dialogue in this. But then all of the women in this could have just have been just camp counselors. That's that's all the life that Sean Cunningham gives them. There's no, like the, the peaks and we'll get into Leviathan. Like there's some great character stuff in Leviathan. It's really fun. And yeah. partly the cast they got also is fucking awesome. It's Cosmatos is like ever since his first really big American movie, a movie I called, I was watching today called Cassandra crossing, uh, which is a big train movie. It feels like, if you were to do it, like let George P. Cosmatos do his kind of muscular action dude thing with like murder on the Orient Express, but it's all big stars in it. It's like it has Burt Lancaster, it has Sophia Loren, it has Richard Harris, um, Martin Sheen shows up. Martin Sheen is basically playing like Bob Evans in it. It's a fucking really weird performance, but. The majority of the movie is just hanging out on this train with these people while this dude who's infected with more or less like super coronavirus uh, is running through and like infecting people and 
they have to basically decide whether or not they're going to blow up the train or like find an antidote for it. So from the start, Cosmatos was always managing kind of like big personalities and big stars and stuff. So that's why I think he's able to get these casts like the ones in Leviathan with like Peter Weller, who has never been known to be like an easy person to work with. Let's say uh, Ernie Hudson and then Richard Crenna, Richard Crenna, who I mean, he's obviously tapping into that Rambo First Blood Part Two energy there. Hector Elizondo, Hector Elizondo, who's fucking great. He's in this so movie. charming in this movie. I mean, all this like he really gets great work, and then Daniel Stern's doing a lot of really fun stuff in this too. So I mean, you you get it. We're like Sean Cunningham, just like for him, his his actors are just meat suits almost. Well, it's it's you're right because I the the two leads could not be less charismatic. Right, like, they're both very very good looking. The main dude looks like like he's got a perfect beard, and he's like. Is it husband and wife again? No, they're they. She's they pregnant. Just, yeah, they're just having a thing underwater. They've been underwater for six months. They're because fuck- it's husband and wife in the abyss, and husband and wife in Lords of the Deep. They're not married. They met there too. I oh, thought. did they too? I believe so. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe not. Well, maybe I'm conflating the two, but definitely Deep Star Six. Anyway, there's always a relationship, right? In, and it's at it's the center. Very lame, like. There's a lot of like soap opera bullshit where it's like you find out she's pregnant and then he finds out because you weren't going to tell me. It's like, God damn it. And the, a big problem with Deep Star Six, it's it's funny, like you watch a film like The Abyss and you see how effortless Cameron makes like not just the filmmaking, but also the plotting and just like the the um, causality of, of his narrative. It all makes it all works together really well. Right. And Deep Star Six is like any bad horror film depends on people being really fucking stupid. Like, conti- <laughs> like even for well, a horror again, movie. Like slasher movie stupid. Yeah. But, but like you have, first of all, they say, hey, don't, they're like, hey, we shouldn't blow up in that cavern. They do. <laughs> then out comes this giant, like prehistoric crab monster then it beats them to shit, but does not affect the does not affect their base at all. It's not big enough to like hurt the base, so they're fine. They're like, well, we should get out of here and go up to the top of the surface. And they're like, hey, make sure to take care of the sled, Miguel Ferrer. He blows up these nukes, which is a mile away, and ends up he causes two nuclear explosions. two nuclear explosions. The shockwave comes and basically busts up their fucking uh, base, just very similar to the abyss, but because someone's very stupid. They almost don't talk about the monster. It's like an afterthought for a, a great deal of the movie. Well, again, it's it's people just sitting in rooms talking about stuff you don't really care about while this monster like creeps around kind of the corner because they do the same thing that they, they did in the first Friday the 13th where like a cast member will see him and be like, oh, oh my God, wow, and then they're dead. We're the same way that like in Friday the 13th, it would be someone just standing in the woods or whatever being, oh, hey, what are you doing here? And then getting stabbed in the stomach, you know? He's working on the same blueprint. The one thing I will give Cunningham, though, is that he always does deliver what's asked of, like, a, the specific type of movie he's making. Like, the amazing artwork that was on the poster for this movie and you the video it. box, that's actually in the movie. And that's act- that's pretty rare. For what, especially for kids, you know, who grew up in the video store era, like you would get that box, and then none of the awesome shit that was on that box was actually in the movie. Sometimes, yeah. Deep Star Six, 
has that amazing diving suit bitten in half. Guess what? Somebody in a fucking diving suit gets bitten in half and it's incredible. It's it's, it's gross. Yeah, it's gnarly. Like he's not a, like a nice filmmaker. He makes some of the ugliest, meanest movies in like horror movie history with like even producing stuff like Last House on the Left. Friday the 13th is not a nice movie. And also it's a very ugly, like in your face exploitation movie, borderline porn just with stabbings instead of cum shots. But then the new kids, the movie he makes with uh, James, where James Spader is like a bleach blonde. He's Florida man. The, the evilest version of teenage Florida <laughs> man. Isn't that Lori Laughlin in that too? Lori Laughlin. Oh yeah. And Eric Stoltz yeah. is the other, uh, it, Eric Stoltz and Lori Laughlin are brother and sister. They have to move into an abandoned amusement park. <laughs> it's a Christmas land. Uh, yeah, in in the middle of like Florida. You yeah. Know, because their dad Tom Atkins, who's like an army general, dies suddenly, and they're left without any parents. So they have to go move in with weirdo Uncle Steve or whatever he is that runs like Christmas Land in the middle of Florida. And like when they move in, the the Theme park's barely operating, but then they run into James Spader and his weird polysexual gang of like redneck maniacs. And dude, that is a, a, I like gross, a lot. rapey, mean movie that has an amazing climate. Like, again, Sean Cunningham was like, look, these kids live in the amusement amusement park if this movie doesn't end in the amusement park with like people being beheaded by roller coasters and shit i haven't done my job he does the same thing with deep star six because this has like a crab monster biting a dude in half and then also that fucking shotgun scene where they're all going to town on it and just unloading shot into it time and time again like that flooded kind of like base room that's in there that scene is awesome so like he knows what you want out of a movie called deep star six and he gives it to you just in true exploitation fashion you kind of have to wait for it yeah, exactly and, and, and i don't hate this movie and i i think one of my favorite deaths is, is miguel ferrer's dying in the 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 escape pod you know his oh head. yeah that's right he because he more or less explodes it's it's cool because you there's so many movies that take place in these bases are like we gotta, we gotta depressurize. We gotta, you know, we gotta change our, you know, depressurize to get up to the surface. And this is the one that actually shows what happens. Right. Kind of like in uh, License to Kill, that we're. Um, well, they do it in the Abyss too, but he doesn't explode it because Michael Bean's character basically goes insane. But I mean, like he starts cutting himself and sweating, and like he, he's he's got the bends. What do they call? It? Yeah, they it is the bends, but they call it something else in the movie too. A, a something 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 syndrome. Like they literally, like you were talking about earlier, how Cameron structures his scripts. Like they literally have somebody define the the. Uh, malady that your main bad guy is going to suffer from later, which is, you know, a great setup kind of call and response narrative thing that he's doing. But do you want to move on to the rift real quick? Um, Let's do, let's do a little more Lords of the Deep. Let's get okay. past that. Is that if that's so, cool. So Lords of the Deep highlighted my main thing, watching these movies, especially in such close proximity, I should say to one another. It felt like I was watching episodes of Star Trek but like from different generations, like, you know, this felt the most like the original series just because it's so fucking chintzy. It's a Roger Corman production. But even though you said this, I believe off mic before we we started recording is that a few of these movies feel like they were made in 1990, but came from a different era. Like 
Lords of of the Deep feels like it was made in like 1977 or something. Yes. Like just held in like a, a, a film canister and then just unleashed in 1990 because they didn't have any product to put on the VHS shelves. Because it feels like just a real chintzy, goofy, rubbery Star Trek episode with a woman who's underwater and is having psychic visions that the aliens are sending to her underwater. And it ends in a giant psychedelic, I guess, almost like parable, sort of. Yeah, well, it's like it lectures her at the end being like, the humans will destroy each other if you don't stop. Please be nice. And you're like, this is the dumb version of the abyss. Yeah, well, again, it's the closest narratively to that kind of, like you said, the, the close encounters kind of vibe of what aliens are like. This one feels like a lot of Corman films, like famously when he was doing, um, it was uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, they on weekends decided to shoot the terror. Right. I think it was, I think it was, that was the one. And the idea was Corman was always willing to, you know, fill in like, Hey, we got this set over the weekend. Let's make a different movie with Boris Karloff. Oh, sure. Over the weekend or about in the Raven or something like that. But anyway, it was the terror was the movie they were making. They had no script. They just kind of improv it. It's fucking terrible. This felt like that where we have they, this leftover set that probably was an outer space movie. Yep before but now we're just going to make it an underwater movie this time and we're going to shake it around and people are going to act like things are happening because like this is a movie that's underwater but like the main threat is earthquakes yes there's like that that's coming from the aliens i think and, and what's funny is it's very vague that this movie's 77 minutes long it feels like five it hours it feels like nine hours but like nothing happens in it really it's it's such bullshit um it's funny because two of the guys who did special effects for Aliens and The Abyss worked on this movie. And Corman being Corman, Jesus Christ put that all over the ads. He's like from sure. the he's like from the special effects ma- masters, and it's not Stan Winston or anybody of like of aliens. He put it like all over the trailer. And we were talking about this earlier before we were recording, but just like Cameron came from the school. Of yeah. of Corman, like a lot of great filmmakers, a lot of genre filmmakers, he came out of there. He was building, you know, uh, awesome props and and miniatures for Beyond Battle Beyond the Stars. Um, you said Galaxy, Gal- Galaxy of, of Terror. Terror. Like he had a famous gag that he did with maggots in Galaxy of Terror, yeah. where he like elect he used electricity to more or less like wrangle them, and that became the thing I think that got him the Piranha Two job specifically. Mm. It was just being this weird effects te- technician. But he, he did everything behind the scenes. He yes. did matte paintings. Cause he did matte paintings on Escape from New York. Yep. The, the New York stuff when they land the helicopters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was his shit. Like, he would just work on anything just to be around it the entire time. And then he took every little bit of knowledge that he accrued and used that to become, like, the best lo-fi film. Like, he's the best analog filmmaker of all time. The guy who just knew how to make a perfectly modeled illusion and then sell it to you with a camera. Yes, it's... Term, Terminator for me, is, I mean, I, I I like every camera movie. But, like, Terminator for me is also that film where it's like... If that were my... I don't consider Piranha his first film. I consider Terminator his first film. Like... If that were your first film, like, oh my God, talk about showing up on the scene, you right. know, just 
this this perfect script. What a great genre idea of, you know, time traveling fucking endoskeleton robots with like human flesh on the outside. Like, what the fuck? And it's almost just a straight up sci-fi slasher. Yeah. Too, oh, totally. Where it'd be if you boil it down to the essence, it's robot from the future, hunts diner waitress through LA, and then here comes future hero to try and save her. It's just one long chase movie. And it's fucking yeah, awesome. Amazing. But let's talk about The Rift real quick. I know you didn't revisit this one. I did not. Before we I've recorded. seen it, but... I just want to say a couple things. Um, this comes from uh, Juan Piquer Simon, uh, Spain's premier trash schlock master. Uh, you want to talk about a guy who has basically produced nothing but bangers for the majority of his career. He directed Pieces, the most absurd slasher film of all time. Uh, he directed Slugs, which Ooh. is super duper gross. And if you've ever sat through Slugs, you know you're you get exactly what a movie called Slugs promises you. And then he directs The Rift, which is an an abyss ripoff that becomes Aliens. But the thing that I really, really love about this movie is the cast. You have Arlie Ermey as the underwater uh, sub-captain. Captain Phillips. <laughs> and then you have Ray Wise as like the nerdy... Oh, no, he's like the navigator, basically. But then they all suit up at a certain point and go to war with like underwater bugs. Because the other movie that th- these kind of made me think of too is Event Horizon. Because Dude. they have a lot oh of the my same God, yes. uh, plot beats. Because it's always about like half of them are about a derelict vessel. And this is p- specifically what the Rift is about. And Leviathan. And Leviathan is that a derelict vessel in, in the Rift, you know, disappears in this this giant trench and then a second ship goes after it and they find out that they basically found a passageway to this uh, biological lab where they were creating genetic experiments that have now gone awry. In Event Horizon, it's literally one ship, the Event Horizon, has to be salvaged. It has a, a salvage ship goes after it, finds it, and finds out that it opened a portal to hell. You know, like... But Event Horizon is just the space version of the underwater sci-fi film. You know, it's just, it's junky, it's weird, and it follows almost the same exact character dynamics and plot beats, too. But, I mean, The Rift is junk. It is a pure ripoff that doesn't care if you know it's a ripoff the entire time. It even boils down to, like, the melodrama is it in it is that, like, I can't remember that the... the Z grade actor that plays the the very handsome buff lead in this, but he, you know, his uh, wife arrives. She's the assistant of Arlie Ermey. She's the, the, the Navy probably XO, I guess we would call her, but they haven't seen each other and they instantly go into fighting and being like, we should have just divorced the entire time. You're like, Oh, okay. I see what you're doing here. But like <laughs> JP Simone doesn't, care about any of that he's like yeah yeah, get out of the way i just want to blow shit up and when things get shot in this movie like they explode like heads explode bugs explode there's jizz everywhere there's blood everywhere it's great it's kind of it also the other movie it reminded me of a lot 
is another alien ripoff. Uh, you ever see Luigi Cozzi's Contamination? Yes, I have. Long time ago. Yeah. The same type of thing where it had the exploding jizz eggs and that. Like, this has just alien jizz everywhere. If you love jizz, The Rift is another movie for you. Speaking of exploding shit, though, I forgot one moment that I love in Deep Star 6. Which one? It's the the CO, It's the, the blow-up guns they have. Oh, those and, are fucking cool. And when he hits the doctor from behind Miguel Ferrer and his chest blows out his heart. Yeah. It, it, me, he almost looks like, um, uh, is it Ed Harris in uh, History of Violence? Yeah. <laughs> his chest just blown apart. Yeah, chest, just chest opens meat. up. And you just see like ribs and shit. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, again, Cunningham's giving you exactly what you want from a movie called Deep Star Six. So Th- There's something that runs, thinking of Event Horizon though, um, one of the things I really like about Event Horizon that connects to the Abyss is beyond. So Event Horizon, you have obviously the 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 terror of they went to a fucking a hell dimension and brought the shit back. It's haunted, right? Yeah. But beyond that, like the they literalizes the idea of Alien that it was a haunted house movie in space, right? And they and I remember like hearing an interview with with uh, Paul W S Anderson and the, and the writer. It's like we wanted to go all the way to the haunted house. Right. Like, almost like the way the cathedral design of some of the rooms is like very much like a haunted, like the Victorian mansion. Event Horizon is ridiculous. Uh, do you want to talk about another movie with just a stacked cast too? They got Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne in that movie. Yeah. Well, it's it's also funny. Like that's one of those films that would never happen again. Where it's like, hey, you just made Mortal Kombat. What do you want to do next? He's like, um, well, I want to do this space movie. And all right, cool. You can have anybody you want for the crew. He's like, all right, I want the guy to design the space suits for Alien. Did those. Right. And I want the cinematographer of Aliens, Adrian Biddle. So it's like, what the fuck? That movie's perfect. But but what I like, though, one of the things that connects to um, The Abyss is beyond the supernatural elements or even like other humans who are for The Abyss who are kind of the enemy is just space itself is going to kill you. Underwater is there to kill you. Like the place you're at is uninhabitable. You're not supposed to be there. Leviathan so, does a good job of that too. Very much as well. But, but I, you know, the abyss goes even more because it doesn't have a monster trying to kill them besides Michael Bean. So it need, it also has that sense of like, we're kind of fucked. I love the scenes of like how they have to get around the, the base. Like one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, the abyss is, where he has to dive down in just like his skivvies and go to the next, like the next entrance. And I just love that kind of like low tech, like we've got to make this work or all the stuff in, in event horizon where they're like using the tools to fix the, the Lewis and Clark, like putting on the plates and like checking out the air and all the kind of like, Oh, and that ridiculous sequence where the, the dude goes out in the <laughs> airlock without, any yep. spacesuit on and like floats through space and is just his eyes exploding blood and his like, eyes explode. Oh my God. You, they, I don't think they would let you put that in a mainstream movie anymore. Like it's so violent and cruel. I went to see that movie in the theaters with my mother. I saw it with my friend Ben Godey and his older brother, seventh grade. Yeah, it was, it was awesome, but it was better, better than the other outer space movie that I saw during the nineties in the theaters that nobody else did. Hellraiser bloodline. I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. I got grounded for sneaking into that. We, speaking of submarines, bought a ticket to Down Periscope, the, the, <laughs> the Kelsey Grammer comedy, uh, and went into uh, Hellraiser Bloodline. Anyway, 
Let's move on to Leviathan, the actual movie that the whole show is supposed to be about. Um, this was, I think we, we bonded a lot over this and this became the main movie because I watched it like a week ago and was just texting you through it. You're like, yeah, we should do like a a fucking George P. Cosmatos episode. And then we, when we had to record this on the fly a bit, we were just texting back and forth ideas and you're like, let's just do Leviathan. And then you were like, let's do all the underwater (laughs) shit that came out in 1989. That's fucking weird. It was like, yeah, but this actually turned out to be this odd pocket in time where you just saw one pop trend take over a specific like corner of the genre market and just produce movies that are so fucking similar but so so different different in many ways leviathan to me is like the one that feels the most textured even though it's put together by cosmatos and features a lot of his kind of stereotypical like let's say personality wrangling this movie is is weathered it's lived in the crew feels closest to the crew from alien yeah they're just over being down there they're about to go back when they get the again the same derelict thing, yep. signal and they have to go check it out they have a corporate overlord with meg foster and her fucking freak <sighs> eyes like just staring at you and telling Peter Weller that she's an eye to, off with him. Yeah, these piercing blue eyes. It's crazy too, where they have to have uh, the the kind of standoff about company orders. Let's say, but one of the threads that I like in this movie is how much personality each of the characters is allowed to have. Again, like the Abyss, they they each get to define themselves in like weird little moments. Like I love that Peter Weller is learning to be a manager. Like he's literally reading a book about how to manage people. And he's on his last leg of an underwater uh, expedition. It's just, he's so again, kind of like what we talked about with shakedown. He's so idiosyncratic and kind of weird and charming that you just can't help, but be lured into whatever he's doing. Even if it's kind of goofy. There's um, one thing I don't want to forget to mention is you have, I mean, the writers on this, you have Jeb Stewart and David Peoples. Sure. You have Jeb Stewart who wrote Die Hard. You have David Peoples who wrote one of the main drafts of Blade Runner and and also created 12 Monkeys and did 12 Monkeys. And so you were saying like there's a lot of beats that it takes right out of Alien, but this is a very well put together genre script. I mean, perfect pacing. We talked about you know, the slog that is Deep Star 6, this movie moves so well. Like, I watched it again last night. I could watch it every day of the week. If I had to watch the live, I would watch it every day of the week. Well, and it's worth, put like, pointing out that, like, Cosmatos always had great screenwriters working for him. Like, Tombstone was supposed to be directed by the screenwriter. Like, that's, oh, yeah. that's the major kind of beef that occurred on that set and why Cosmatos had to come in and take over for him essentially because it was Kevin Jare. He was supposed to make his directorial debut with this and he had this idea of making it this very classically themed, languid Western, not the thing that we ended up getting, but they figured out, I think he only shot for like a week or so, but he didn't know how to shoot a movie. Like he was shooting everything in like masters and there were, there wasn't enough coverage for scenes and Kurt Russell the whole time was just like, this just isn't working. So they fired him and brought Cosmatos in to, to manage the production again and, and get a movie in on time and on budget. 
And that's when Kurt Russell just took over and was like, well, I guess I'm directing now and was just calling the shots and framing everything and giving performance tips and things. So it's like, that's, it's again, hard to not take credit away from him. But at the same time, like, cause Mato still saw, Hey, this is like, you know, a work from like a master author or whatever. And like, I, I still have the building blocks for a good movie here. He had the ability to recognize the situations where he could come in and just manage the production accordingly and turn something in that, you know, would probably be a hit. Yeah. There's, um, this movie is a lot of fun too. And it's, it's perfect, perfectly gross. I mean, it's a stack. It's just stacked across the board. Like, you have Jerry Goldsmith doing a really good score. He uses like whale sounds like in the score. Um, he uses some great synthesizer shit during the tent scenes. Like you could see Cosmatos again, pulling on some stuff they did together for um, first blood part two, you know, Stan Winston. And from everything I know, I watched the making of this film in terms of Stan Winston studio. He was pretty hands off in terms of like, he didn't create a lot of the creatures. It was like, he gave, assignments to like all the guys. But what he told them was different from different from aliens, right? Where aliens has had, you know, even aliens is all supposed to be fit in the, in the HR Giger style, right? It's all supposed to be of one kind of um, environment and one kind of, of life cycle, right? This, he said, I want it to all be random. I want it to be random monsters you have like you know showing up and because it's all it's the thing that like yes. kind of element where it's all mutation yeah exactly there's no there's no coherent like through line the one thing that i did say see him say in an interview is that he did want it to resemble different stages of biological life underwater like he was modeling it mm-hmm. after like different modes of existence that like different creatures that did live in an aquatic environment would go through well and another connection also to abyss is he was also the first choice for cameron's first choice to do the special effects but i believe yeah. he, he had already signed on for leviathan like Oh, I didn't know that. Or, or, or it was like, well, because he, he and his team, he, he talks about Leviathan quite fondly, or did, you know, talk about it quite fondly because they went to Italy and shot it, and like he, he and his team learned to like scuba dive and like hung out. It was basically the polar opposite of the Abyss shoot. Like he talks about going to Italy and shooting this for you know MGM and and the De Laurentiis as being like kind of a glorified vacation, but again. Cosmatos just kind of manages, like, brings this thing in on time, on budget. Everyone had a good time. The and, like, the one thing I do think is that Cosmatos is, like, the king of the, the Saturday or Sunday afternoon, like, matinee movies. Yes. Like, Rambo's a huge blockbuster, but it now mostly you're, you're bound to see it on TNT at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when there's no basketball game on. Same with Tombstone. Tombstone is probably on TBS like right now as we're talking. <laughs> um, Leviathan, for me, that's how I experienced it the first time is that it, in Philly, there was the station, I believe it was like UPN 57, but I, I have to double check that when I was a kid growing up, it was kind of like the public access station. Oh no, or maybe it was PHL 17. It was one of the two. But like... On Sunday afternoons, they would have 
like back to back to back horror movies. They would do triple features cool. for from basically like noon until dinner time. You know, and there would be That's heaven. There would just be days where I would just hang out in my parents' room watching their little old like Zenith TV with like a bowl of popcorn <sighs> and whatever and some soda. And you would watch like Hellraiser, Leviathan, and then uh, like Jason goes to hell, like back to back to back. And they would be edited sort of because the edited cuts of movies back then, like they weren't too far off. Like even if there were boobs, I remember in, in 976 evil, um, <laughs> like when they all hung out in that uh, movie theater, you know, and there's like porn all over the walls and shit. Like, Oh, it's in the bathroom scene where he goes and kills that dude and like rips his hand off. There's porn plastered all over the stalls in there. And like you see the porn, but there's just like little blurs over their nipples. That was how far that they would go to edit the shit. Like most of the gore and stuff was intact. So the first time I saw Leviathan was on like a Sunday afternoon and it was quote unquote edited. But like I didn't miss much, man. I watched it with my brother for the first time. It rented it from Movie Gallery in Franklin, Indiana. He was back from college. I was still in high school. No, I was in high school, so he was already at, I think he was already out of college. And I had never seen it. It was in the horror section. The cover was the original poster, which is oh, it's so cool. It, it's, it's her in her underwear, mostly Amanda Pays being carried up by Peter Weller in the, in the awesome. I love the design of these uh, underwater suits. Um, and there's these bubbles and it's just, this beautiful, like fucking eighties poster. And I'm like, what the hell is that? My brother and I both like, we're both scuba divers and we both like love the water. And so he was like, fuck yeah, he loves the abyss. And we were both just blown the fuck away. And I bought it on DVD like immediately. Should we recap what this movie is actually about for the people listening to a Leviathan podcast who may not have seen Leviathan, yeah. I guess I'll, I'll hop in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we've already gone over that. They're underwater, like minors, basically, um, they get a dis- a distress call. They don't get a distress call. It, nope. Well, they, it's like a beacon. No, they're just wandering around. There's no beacon. Oh, is it really? He, he literally, they're there just drilling, and and six pack falls off a ledge. Oh, and that's then, right. And then walks away, and it's because they're it's just there, and it's uh um it's the Leviathan. It's this this um, Russian like destroyer. It's a, it's a it's a Russian like uh, battleship or Russian destroyer. With a hole in the side, it looks like uh, it was hit by a por- torpedo. And they do some research. They realize there's another one in the Baltic Sea, another Leviathan. They pull out um, an old an old rusted safe. They open it up, and there's some vodka in there. And if they pour out mo- most of the vodka, um, Weller pours out. But there's a little flask that Six Pack put by Daniel Stern takes with him. He and a very hot Lisa Eilbacher um, just, oh, my God. Um both drink some and they find out that what was in the water was put there by the Russian, these Russian scientists as a test to create a genetic alteration so we can live on the bottom of the ocean. Now it's the pulpiest thing and it's so fucking cool. It's like a Russian, like, like, like basically military science thing gone wrong. Well, and the way the story is told is the thing that I really, really like. Cause I like any, I love movies where people find weird films or videotapes yes. and then watch them and you slowly watch people go insane via videotape or like some real fucked up shit or whatever. Like it's the reason I really like Sinister. 
uh, it's Event Horizon as we already uh, kind of brought up. This is the closest to Event Horizon because it's all about these captains' logs and they're watching these dudes like lose it. But I mean, I love captains' logs. It's just I love that type of storytelling where somebody sees weird shit and then they're like, should we have even been witnessing that? Like, yeah, they they see the captains' log and they also watch the video that was filmed by the the cameras on their on their suits and they see very similar to the thing a a distended head like the skeleton like this is what happened to the crew before right um but they also find their personal effects and realize they're all dead like they find them all in this in this safe and it's so it's real fucking creepy it's creepy it's again very much like the thing of kind of like when you go over to the norwegian camp it's like what well, it these also people reminds already me of when this. john hurt goes out in, in alien. Yes. Uh, and you know, has the thing, the face hugger attached to his face the first time. That's what the Daniel Stern stuff underwater reminded me of the most. Yeah. It's going into like the, the, the bad place. Yeah. This place, you know, you shouldn't be and and something horrible is going to happen. And then he brings it back and people start physically changing and become downright Cronenbergian at times. Yep. He, he and, uh, Lisa Albacher's character both mutate. They die. She kills herself in the shower? Yeah, she slits her wrists. And then he has his arm cut off by, like, the the, the lock, and it, like, slithers away? It's his leg. That's his leg, and, yeah. and it, and it, But it, it's, like, kind of like the thing where even a piece of it yeah, can become a sentient being. Become a thing. And so it grows into this giant, you know, this giant thing in the... In their ship. And then it just, it, it goes from there. And I mean, like, then you have the great stuff of like Richard Crenna's character, who's this doctor with a past. He's kind of like the Ian Holm stand in in this of like, you're not sure what side he's on. Is he a company man? Is he going to sell them out the entire time? And he doesn't like sell them out. He's a good dude, but he also is like, we can't let this go to the surface. Like but they do. The one thing I do like about this movie again is the weird, like kind of character beats and textures. They set up conflict between Richard Crenna and the rest of the crew right away. Cause he like, separates himself, doesn't show up. Uh, Someone almost dies. Yeah, somebody almost dies. He doesn't even show up, and they're they're basically giving him shit because they think he he thinks he's above them or something. Like it's it's an interesting dynamic. But yeah, this is one of the rare occurrences where like they set up all that tension and it just turns out that he's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and and there's just some some good character stuff again. Like like Ernie Hudson is just he's so he's just a sweet character in this, and he's the the last surviving character besides our two, our, our romantic couple, you might say Amanda Pays and Peter Weller. Um, but he's got some great lines. Like Meg Foster says, she's like, I know you've been through hell. He's like, bitch, we still here. Like yeah. just good horror movie, badass lines. Yeah. He's like perfect in this movie. There there's, you know, a, a period in Ernie Hudson's performing career where he, he was just kind of at peak Ernie Hudson. I think it ends with the crow, frankly. I love him in the crow. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that's the last one I can, I, I off the top of my head where I'm like, Oh, that was a great Ernie Hudson role. Cause I even like him in like ghostbusters too, which isn't a good movie, but he's hand, having fun in it. Hand the rocks, the cradle. He's yeah. good in. Oh yeah. There's some simple Jack shit going on there. But, that's real weird and kind of funny because he becomes key to actually solving the mystery and, and, and outing Rebecca, Rebecca de Morier as a total psychopath, but also like his performance borders on 
you know, uh, let's say violating the rule that Tropic Thunder laid out. Never for go. Us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he's doing it. And the fact that he becomes the hero is the only thing that kind of saves that. You're like, oh, simple Jack. No, I mean, and uh, again, kind of like Deep Star Six, but I think to a greater degree, I, I did get into it a bit of a, not argument, but like he, he told me I was wrong on Twitter as one of our contributors, Brian Collins. Uh, my former BMD colleague uh, told me that he preferred Deep Star Six because you don't see the monster enough in Leviathan and the action's kind of weird. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. But like, I think, I just like the texture of Leviathan. Leviathan just vibes with me way better. And like, yeah, the end is real goofy when the big monster with the old Chinese man whiskers like, pops out of the, 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 the surface and starts menacing them. Like, eh, it's not that great. But, like, you know, the rest is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it's not even close. I much prefer this. And it's a much, it moves really well. I really, really like the production design in this movie. Like you were saying earlier, like it's very lived in. Um, like the abyss feels like very realistic. Like when you're inside that stuff, it all looks like, there's futuristic kind of tech, but for the most part, it feels like you're inside an oil, an oil rig. Yeah. You know, you're it's, with it, roughnecks in some kind of oil rig and you're maneuvering through it. Like it's the same thing. That's awesome about like even uh, aliens no, yeah. to where it's just that metal, great industrial futuristic feel that, that Cameron just is in love with and is the king of. Well, cause he knows how to ground sci-fi worlds like futuristic worlds in like a very very much now it's like tangible yeah because like like the, the colonial marines like he they're all they're just look like vietnam soldiers like the way that he's like had them personalize their helmets those are just straight up you or know, the the death from above like on the bottom of the ship and shit like that like yeah he's well i mean and he's been very open in saying that aliens was his vietnam movie yeah but it but it, it it just works very well and i think he does that well with this but I feel like the Leviathan is somewhere between the ridiculous, like like you said, Star Trek world of Lords of the Deep and the Abyss, which is like super realistic. There's still some sci-fi flourishes to Leviathan. Actually, there's quite a few um, of the inside. And again, it's it feels more like a spaceship than I would say the stuff in the Abyss. When it has that stormy kind of weathered texture that the yeah. Abyss does too. It's just, it's they're perfect companion pieces uh, together to where the other ones, because the Leviathan feels distinctly different than the Abyss too, especially in plot, to where like the rest of these movies you can look at and be like, uh, you were definitely doing a thing here and trying to compete with the big boys. So... I think that's what really makes it stand out the most. That just again, this incredible fucking cast is just so much fun to be around the entire time. You just want to hang. I like just living in this movie, like with these characters again, but it never feels like marking time. Like Sean Cunningham does like this. It's the plot is never put on hold. It's like the first act of this is great. It just really puts you in the world. And again, with, with Peter Weller, he said of, of his arc of, being he's a geologist he's like an underwater geologist who's like you made me the boss yeah. and i don't know how to talk to these people or gain their respect and he does it's it's kind of a realistically plotted the ha- first time you meet him he's he's looking into the camera 
not first time, but like very early on when you meet him, he's looking directly into the camera and trying to recite a speech of how he's going to, to, to reprimand Richard Crenna. Yeah. And then he puts up and he's just reading like a, like a how to uh, manage manual that you would buy in like Walden books or something. I think it was the one minute manager. That, Which I is the book that too, I yeah. got in I got when I was in the fraternity. Oh wow. <laughs> where it teaches you how to be a boss. How to be a leader. <laughs> now, real quick, because this isn't one of our main questions before we get to questions, but I thought I would still ask you anyway. Is this your favorite Cosmatos movie? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. So it, it depends on what so it's it's a tie it would be a tie between this and First Blood Part Two. Um I love Tombstone. I that's very formative in my life, but that's my favorite. I just can't deny how many times I've rewatched it. I, I Tombstone is is ingrained with like my dad and my brother and me, even my mom. Like we've all watched it together, the family. We all love that movie. We love yeah. Kilmer in it. So maybe it's hard that those three are kind of interchangeable because like Leviathan, when I'm in a Leviathan mood, nothing tops it. Yeah, it's just um, great. But you also like throw it on and it's so watchable. It's very watchable. Or like you said, I mean, like for, for First Blood Part 2 that night, we were just like, let's watch a fucking banger. And it delivers. Like it's so fucking like the perfect 80s action movie. Like the per- perfect hard body male action movie and cobra is the most 80s action movie and i I enjoy cobra but there's some sequences where i'm like all right no i mean cobra's a piece of shit like (laughs) here's the thing i love it i love cobra amazing but it's also ridiculously dumb yeah it's so stupid but it is like 19 movies in like 95 minutes and you can't deny how much entertainment value it delivers kind of like bang for your buck factor. You know, it opens with Stallone just straight up blowing dudes out of their, their, their shoes in the middle of a supermarket. And you're like, well, I can't get any better than this wrong. Then Brian Thompson shows up and he's in the, like the forefront of a, uh, cult of satanic serial killers. The Night killers. Stalker gang. The Night Stalker gang. Night there's Slasher, sorry. Night Slasher, yeah. There, there, there's axe fights. There's motorcycle chases. There's Stallone cutting pizza with scissors. Like, I don't know, man. It's not my favorite Cosmatos, but even like the most troubled, weird Cosmatos movies are, are just hold so much... Uh, value in terms of just rewatchability. I mean, even of unknown origin, which is probably the closest to like an artier movie that he ever made. He made a movie, his first movie real early that he shot in Greece with Raquel Welsh is kind of more of a weird kind of arty character driven type thing. But like of unknown origin is him kind of fucking around with Peter Weller on a bigger budget, let's say. Like, they actually got to play a little bit. But that's the probably the least rewatchable while also being awesome it's, the entire time. It's really fun. And Cobra also has that great, um, his car, like his oh, souped yeah. up, his coupe. But I, um, when I was in Italy with my parents, like 24 years ago, we were went to Planet Hollywood, and we were in the Stallone room. And right over our table was the, were the props from Cobra. They had the actual machine gun, that ridiculous machine gun he has. Um, and then behind that was the, the couple of shit from Cliffhanger. Crime is a disease. I'm the cure. I'm the cure. Yeah, but I would say Leviathan, again, depends what kind of mood I'm in. If I want a banger, it'd be Rainbow First World War II, but probably the best of the three or any of them would be Tombstone. 
That's fair. We want to get to questions? Let's do it. All right. We're back with questions about 1989's Leviathan. Martin, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're not going to do top three Cosmatos. We're going to say, let's rank the underwater horror movies of 1989 to 1990. Now, here, let's do it this way. We just, the abyss we're just saying is number one. Yeah. Like, because it is the other four. Let's do that. Um, or are we counting the rift from 90? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I would do Leviathan easily. Okay. The, the rift, um, deep star six and then Lords of the deep. Yep. Same. I mean, it's like we, it's, it's for those of you who haven't seen it, it's pretty clear, like not just quality in terms of like the filmmaking itself, but like the lower you get, they're just junky. Like, they're just boring movies. So here's a question. Which Star Trek is which? Like, which movie is which uh, kind of installment of Star Trek to me? Because to me, like, Lords of the Deep, that's probably the original series. I'd go with probably Leviathan as Next Generation... Deep Space Nine is going to be... Deep Star Six. <laughs> Deep... Yeah, probably. Which means the Rift... Oh, that would be um, Enterprise. I was going to say the animated series, but sure. <laughs> I think Enterprise. That's kind of like... They got a little action Yeah, a little or... more action-y. Yeah, that works. Because the, that was, that's what I really... My brain was going like... It is like watching an episode of Star Trek, but just from one of the different Star Trek series. Yeah. You know, but yeah, my, my ranking would be the same as yours. I, I feel like it's kind of hard to argue any other way. Like you could possibly argue that you like Deep Star Six more than The Rift. I mean, I think you would be a crazy person because The Rift is just so fucking entertaining. But sure, you know. Um, so second question. Remake. Yay, nay. It's, I mean, it's a tough one for this episode because these are all like... We watched four. We watched four. And then you have a film like Underwater, the Kristen Stewart film. Which is as close as what we've gotten. That's, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny. That movie is like, the script is messy. But I was so, I own it. Like, I was so happy to see it in the theater because even though I was getting a junky version. Like they put money into it. The special, the fucking costumes, like those, their underwater suits are so, like fucking samurai suits. They're so fucking cool looking. It has the same, uh, let's say weathered texture yeah. as the abyss or, or Leviathan. Like it's a little it bit of everything. Great. Like, yeah, well it's Bojan Bozelli. Yeah. Uh, 
shot it, our boy who shot a bunch of like the Abel Ferrara movies and stuff in like King of New York. So it looks amazing. Kristen Stewart's super hot, like running around with short pixie hair and like her underwear and then a swimsuit. I mean, here's my problem with underwater. If we're going to throw that in with it, with this uh, kind of 89 to 90 boom of the underwater kind of sci-fi creature feature is that when it reveals the actual monster is more or less like a Lovecraftian old one. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? It, it, it's kind of like when you get to the end of the witch and you realize, oh, the rich, the witch is real the whole time. Like that, that's the end that that's when the movie I want to watch begins. I'm like, no, give me the, the Lovecraft movie. Like that's fucking awesome. Like we had to sit through like Leviathan two to get to this. Like, just give me that. Like, yeah, it's, um, I was actually telling my dad about this episode on the, in the car earlier, I was on the phone and I was, him, I was like, we're doing, we're doing the thing about the abyss and Leviathan. And I think I've shown him all these and he goes, Oh, abyss. Is that the one where, um, Samuel Jackson's eaten by a fucking shark from behind. I'm like, no, it's deep blue sea, but no, that's funny. deep star six. <laughs> I was like, cause deep blue sea though. It's funny because it's a shark movie. But it's also, yeah, it's one of these. It's very, it's very an underwater base aquatica. It has the same setup of like, the ragtag group of team like team members, right down to LL Cool J being the chef yep. or the cook. And I like that movie a lot. I really, really liked it. I like Tom Jane performance in that. He's he's a good, like like just lantern jawed hero in that movie. Like that's yeah. a solid fun. I mean, underwater, the the problem the main problem with it is it, the script is like meh. It ju- it kind of throws you into it. And also like you can't see, like it goes for the realism of like the cloudiness of the ocean. Like there's things like you just don't even know what you're looking at. It's just so like, it's so silty. That's Rennie Harlan, right? Uh, deep, deep, uh, deep blue sea. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's another king of like the schlock just banger. Yep. That's a great one. But yeah, I would say we've already kind of had them. Um, but also I would love any, more movies in this kind of, in this ilk. Yeah. That's the thing is. And I think I wasn't a huge underwater fan, but it did make me long for this because it reminded me of the kind of late eighties programmer specifically from this run. Um, yeah, it would be great. Like if these just showed up for like, you know, $30 million or whatever were put on Netflix, like I would watch them instantly. As Absolutely. Soon as they, they hit. So could you remake it? Sure. You know, should you, Actually, yeah, this would be a perfect one. Just don't make the monster like CGI and omnipresent. Like I, I would still want to do the whole kind of goopy practical thing and do the slow buildup that it does. That's kind of Cronenbergian or kind of like the thing to where it slowly reviews or reveals like the different mutations and kind of little monsters that are happening. So yeah, I, I'd be into a remake too. There's another one that they did. It's Korean called Sector Seven okay. from like. Nine years ago, maybe more, um, that I got like a a DVD um, from Korea that was like had really bad uh, like subtitles, like really knowing what happened in it. Um, I think it's on on Netflix now, but it was an oil rig, so it it's not underwater, but it's the same idea of like this ragtag group of of oil workers. There's I think that something comes up from the water. Um, it's genetic mutation as well they're fighting it um it was 3d they shot it it was this oh, wow. it was a huge like like summer blockbuster in korea um and it's it's messy um but it's fun it's a, like there's sure. a, it opens up with a guy 
doing motorcycle tricks on top of a, um, an oil rig platform just for fun. And it's just, and as this, you do in this horrible 3d and it's like, this like pop. What was he wearing? Um, like an orange jumpsuit. Okay. Was it skimpy? Oh yeah. Okay. It's nice. Low cut. Yeah. I mean, again, if you're going to do tricks on top of an oil rig, you can't be wearing any clothes. And we may get, um, we actually may get a, another film like this soon. If they're going to do a sequel to the Meg. So, Oh yeah. They've already greenlit that. They, I, think. I believe so. Cause the trench, the book is, is right. this. It takes place at an underwater base and it's like the abyss and you have sphere as well, but it's kind of its own below <clears throat> the David Toey movie that Darren Aronofsky like co-wrote yep. is pretty good and is in the, a similar subgenre. That's more of a haunting or a haunted sub haunted. Yeah. It's like, it's like Das Boot with the ghost haunted U-boat. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like, I like that one a lot. It's fun. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good one. But, um, well, let's talk about uh, double feature. I, do you want to go first or me? You go first. I was going to say Deep Rising. I love that movie. Yeah, with Leviathan. That's not my pick. It was one of, it was on my list. But I love it. I mean, for those who haven't seen it, it's Treat Williams, a creature feature where like a massive squid monster thing like takes over a cruise ship. Again, very, very Lovecraftian. Yeah, they're a uh, ragtag group of treasure hunters who go to uh, take over and salvage the, this ship, which in that great fucking opening attack sequence where like it just rocks the boat and like people are going crazy and like chandeliers are breaking and shit. It's just a really fun monster movie. No fat, no pretensions. Steven Summers. Steven Summers, like, you know, shooting jet skis off and, and, Really doing some crazy shit, but the CGI is a little spotty. It hasn't aged that well, but like uh, Deep Star 6 uh, is out on a Kino Lorber Blu-ray that looks really terrific. Um, you know, that, w- that would be mine. Like if we could ever do like a 35 millimeter screening Ooh. of Leviathan and Deep Rising, that'd be a lot of fun. Jerry Goldsmith score too, and a good one. Yeah. Really Fonka good one. Jansen too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And Kevin J. O'Connor's the the guy on the kind of like the nerdy dude on the ship, and like he's in all of um, Summer's movies. Yeah, that's like his guy. Yeah, like they're they're having a bunch of fun. Like again, it, and it, it's fun to see Treat Williams in like a hero type mo like mode because he didn't get enough of those in my opinion. I always liked him as an actor, and he just was always a supporting dude. And it was fun to see him kind of play like an Indiana Jones or, or Han Solo-ish, like kind of high seas scoundrel. I, I love it. I love his, I love the boat. Like, cause all those, those, the bad dudes, he doesn't know why, the, why they're there. He just, he's just driving them. <clears throat> Pardon me, but he's got that awesome, almost like a, um, like a PT boat, but it's like futuristic and has all this yeah. like cool tech on it and shit. It's, I love it. It's awesome. What about yours? I'm going to go with Gravity, and I'm going to pair that with... Um, Wait, the Sandra Bullock space yeah. movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think what I like about Gravity, it's one of the things I like about a lot of parts of the Abyss, is just where the enemy is space. Like, okay. Like, pure survival. Um, it's not a one-to-one, you know, uh, double feature, no. but I like the, the sense of using your wits to kind of beat this unbeatable thing. And I also feel like very similarly where when you're at the bottom of the ocean, it's the same as like being, you know, up in space where it's like, you're in a different world than 
terra firma. Like, how do you get home? Sure. Um, and I just really like that movie a lot. I think that's a, one of my best 3D films I've ever seen. And, you know, Queeron directed the shit out of it. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it doesn't have the best rewatch value at home, um, but a theatrical experience would be cool. Oh, it was amazing. I remember seeing it in one of those 4DX <clears throat> oh, no way. theaters where, like, the seat moved and everything, so it became almost like a ride. It was really fucking awesome. I remember when I saw it, it was like I had to work. I was bartending, and I went to like a 1 p.m. on a Friday. I had to work that night. I went with my, my buddy Jonathan, who I worked with. I was like, dude, let's go see Gravity. I had her glasses on, and it's like black. You know, you, the black screen, and, and the sound was so good. You hear that, that beeping sound. I was like, dude, whose fucking phone is that? And it's like in the back of the theater, and it's so... Like, the feeling of 360 sound is so well done in that movie. That I was like, oh, my God. And then when it started, I'm like, oh, I'm in, like, completely... So that's what I would pair. You know what other movie movie I saw in 40X that was awesome? Venom. No way. Yeah, I did it in the in uh, the theater that's connected to the man's Chinese. They yeah. have a four. It's right next like, to it. Like a full on like 40X kind of setup, but where they did like the smells and stuff too. It was such a weird experience because I was like. I was in town for Beyond Fest. I was doing all the Cronenberg like retrospective stuff. And I was like, Venom's out. Do I want to go kill time and see fucking Venom? Sure enough, it, it was so much fun. And I was the only person in the theater. So I've never like done it. my own personal Venom ride. I've never done the 40X. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's too <clears throat> expensive for what it is. Yeah. But like... It's like 40 know, bucks or what? No, God, no. It's, it was 18, okay. 20. Like, it's not crazy. But like, you know... It's one of those things to where, like, if you're going to keep the theatrical experience alive, like, I'd love more 40X theaters just because it's so unique and weird. And you can only watch certain types of movies. I also did it for, weirdly enough, also while in town at that same theater during Beyond Fest. Um, was it Hell Hellfest? A slasher <laughs> movie in, yeah. the, in the, the amusement park? Yeah. Um, or fun house really. That was a lot of fun because that became almost like you were in a haunted, like the seats moved and it felt like you were almost in like a low tech kind of uh, haunted, like cool. boardwalk haunted house. Like I really like that. Hell yeah. So last question, face melter. Yay. Nay. Yay. Um, Leviathan. I think Leviathan is, and I'll, yeah, I don't know. I'll, okay. I'll tell you, here's why, here's why I'll tell you why. Um, for me, I showed it to, my good friends, Andrew and Nora and Nora, a lot of times when we're watching movies, like she'll just be like on her phone and she's kind of like tone, just kind of zoning out, you know, sure. Her back kind of to the TV. I put on, I brought over Leviathan and she put her fucking phone down and was just like plugged in <clears throat> the whole time. And she's like, that was a blast. And she was just like, that was like, what the hell was that? And so maybe not a face melter in the sense of just like wall to wall insanity, but in terms of like, Showing to someone who had no idea what they're getting into, it definitely had that effect. I'm still at a no, and this might be an MP more than like a YP in terms of the movie itself, but like maybe it's because I experienced it as a Saturday, like or Sunday matinee, yeah, you know, on TV or whatever. That's what it always is to me, and that's what Cosmatos movies are, even like the straight up bangers like Rambo and Tombstone and stuff. Like, those aren't face melters to me because like he's the king of almost like the dad yacht rock movie <laughs> because you just like my dad loves tombstone. My dad loves Rambo. My dad loves 
Cobra. That one's a little more coked up. That's if you're at, at like the the yacht rock party where like everyone's just doing blow off of like a mirror in the middle of the room, and like Brian Ferry has no pants on or something. <laughs> so like, you I'll know that party. But they, yeah, I'd, I'll go tomorrow. But like Leviathan's kind of the same way to me. Like the pacing isn't super fast. It's a little languid at times. Again, you're hanging out with this crew. The the monster. To our buddy Brian's point, like you don't see a lot of the monster, so there's nothing really kind of WTF about it. Um, it just doesn't. While it, it it hits the sweet spot of like a really good movie, I love to revisit. It just it doesn't have that wow factor. It's it's That's a fair. little more relaxed, let's say, than than what the average face melter in my mind would be. Yeah. So. But there you go, guys. Spine number 26, 1989's Leviathan. What do we got next? I'm not even sure at this point because this episode wasn't even supposed to exist as of like literally 24 hours ago. But Martin, we pulled it off. We did it, sir. We went underwater. We came out. We were still breathing. Ed Harris gave us CPR, screamed at us, called us a bitch. But in the end, we still love him. I do. But this is Secret Handshake. Signing off. Bye.